You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. God, I never just want to go through the motions of, of church or a service without sitting in just a deep, deep awareness that you are and you are present, that as you have said to us in your word, that you hold the entire of humanity and creation in the universe and the breadth and palm of your hand that you're in over through and under all things. So you're here and you're present right now. And so far be it from us to just go through motions of what we've planned. We, we wanna make space, God, that you do what you've planned. So speak in this moment or in the moments to come, whether it has anything to do with what I say or anything to do with what the band or nothing to do with any of it, would your voice be clear, the clearest voice tonight because you are worthy of it all. And so Jesus, we give you this time, we give you this evening, we ask you to own this place, we ask you to own this night. Just ask you to be present in a way that we could acknowledge and know that in the deepest places of our soul. In your name, amen. All right, so I just wanna share with you a couple thoughts really quick and then we're gonna move outside together. But I wanna share a story Some of you will know it, maybe some of you don't, but I want to remind us of a time that Jesus asked a young man if he would give him his all and what happened as a result of that encounter. There's a couple different places in the Gospels and the Bible that records this. Gospels are the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the books in the Bible that kick off what's called New Testament. They speak exclusively to the life and the teachings of Jesus. And in one encounter in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man came up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. And you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and honor your mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him There's a compassion in him. There's an awareness. I think you and I all know he hasn't kept all that perfectly. He thinks he's done enough. He thinks, and I think there's there's an ache even in Jesus' own heart as he looks at him with an awareness that this guy is trying to earn his way to God. He's trying to do everything right. He's convinced himself he has. I just, I think there's something significant about even the emotive ability that Jesus has to this young man. He says, "I've, I've done all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said to him, one thing you lack. He said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. So here's a moment where Jesus says to a young man, if I'm worthy of it all, then give it to me. Give it all to me. And he walked away. Jesus gave him a simple instruction and he essentially, with his movement away from him, he said no to him and he walked away. Sometimes we have this idea in church, uh, I've thought it before in many conversations with people, that if we were just with Jesus, like if we just walked with him, if we just actually saw him, it'd be so much easier. It'd be easier to believe, it'd be easier to follow him. And yet the truth is there were so many people that were there They saw him, they touched him, they heard his voice, every bit as clear as you hear mine right now, and they walked away from him. 
There's moments all throughout the Gospels we see this. Even John chapter 6 is probably one of the biggest ones. A whole segment walked away. It's like the first church split in history. People didn't like the message Jesus gave, thought it was too hard, he was too much in their business, and they walked away from him. Even to the point that he had to turn to his own disciples and go, are you guys going to go too? Like there was something he even felt from them, a tension, a wrestle. Where he's like, how about you guys? You going? You staying? What are you doing? This is a famous moment where Peter, one of his disciples, says, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. But there's this consistent flow of people out of curiosity, out of interest, out of dedication. Some came, watched, followed for a season, and left. Some followed all the way to the end. And some gave their life for him all the way to the very end. Here's the reality for every single one of us. And, and it, it encompasses all of us, regardless of whether or not you would say, I believe there's a God, Jesus is him, or you go, I'm really not sure yet. Maybe there's a God, I don't know if there is a God, if Jesus is him. This would encompass all of us. At any given moment in our lives, we are either moving towards Jesus or away from him. There is no neutral. This is a drive or a reverse. There's no park, there's no neutral. At any given moment of your life, right now, this very moment of your life, tomorrow, the day after, seven o'clock tomorrow evening, at any given moment of your life, you are either moving towards Jesus or you are moving away from him. Any given moment. Now, here's the problem, and here's why we have this tendency to either move to him or to move away from him. Do me a favor, I want you to just participate for a moment. Just look at somebody next to you, would you? Just look at them and say, the problem, no, not the problem is you. Whoever just said that, you are gonna have a bad night tonight, sir. <laughs> Jesse Allen. The, pro- <laughs> the problem, go ahead, help me again, since you messed it up. The problem is the drift, is the drift. So any fans of uh, Grand Haven? One of my absolute favorite places in all of Michigan is Grand Haven State Park. The big, long pier, the red lighthouse out at the end. My family goes there a couple times a year if we can. We've gone camping there over the years with friends. Like, we just, we love Grand Haven. It's just a great, beautiful place. It's kind of like the, it's the west coast of the country on the west coast of the state. The problem is, if you've been there, if you know Grand Haven at all, that there's also certain times a year that the waves and the current and the tide is just, it's vicious. And we were there last year with my family and some friends, and it was one of those points where a storm had rolled in, it was super sketchy, there's nobody in the water except the McGlasson family, which is what we do. We're like one part stupid and two parts brave, or maybe it's the opposite. But we're in the water, and my kids are out there, my wife is second-guessing my decision, but that's the way we roll, so I'm like, let's just go in the water. So here's what I did tell the kids, though. I'm like, you see, you see the, the, the current is going to pull you away, like really quickly. I'm like, so... Watch for our umbrella. That's the marker. If you start drifting away from that, you're going to bad places. Like, you're going to drift really quickly. So watch the marker so you can stay in place because you're going to drift otherwise and you're going to drift really quickly. Part of the problem was, and we had some locals come up to us and basically affirm our stupidity of being in the water and said, hey, um, out there is really bad right now. That's why nobody's swimming. And the further you get towards the pier, there's actually a rip current that swirls up off of the pier and it'll suck you right out deep into the water. So the further they get pulled by the tide, they're going to eventually hit the rip current and that's going to be super bad news. So what did we do? We went towards the rip current. <laughs> like That's literally what my kids did. I'm like, other way, umbrella, go back. But they just kept drifting and drifting because here's the truth about the beach or about your spiritual lives. Do you know what you have to do to drift? Nothing. 
Just do nothing and you'll drift. Just make a decision to do absolutely nothing and you will automatically drift. And if it's in the waves of Grand Haven at a bad time at the beach, you might drift into a current that's gonna pull you where you don't wanna go and eventually you could even, if you drift long enough, end up in a riptide that will overpower you and be stronger than you can fight against. I think the same thing is true spiritually. I think in our lives, we can drift And we can either, at any given moment, we can drift away from Jesus or we can drift towards him. To drift away from him, all you gotta do is nothing. And you drift long enough, and you might find yourself sucked into a stream of life that will pull you with a power that will overwhelm you away from him. So here's all I wanna do. I wanna give you one more passage and one more thought about how it is that we fight the current, about how it is that we don't drift, about how it is that we can actually overcome the riptide even, about how it is that you and I, in one of the most simple ways in all of the Bible, yet so easily overlooked, can experience some of the greatest power of growth, change, and transformation that is God, where he's not just a belief, not just an idea, not just a religious thing, but he is the actual essence of your life and transforms it. I think we can experience it far more simple than we realize book of John chapter 2 records the first time that Jesus ever does anything supernatural. He's at a wedding, and this is what we read in verse 1. On the third day, the wedding took place in Canaan and Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind that were used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then Jesus told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So I think in this passage is contained five words that give us, I believe, the key to not only fight the drift, but experience the greatest forms of transformation in our encounter with God ever and ongoingly. And they're, they're the latent power found in just a couple of words in this story. So in case you didn't catch it, I don't know if you paid attention, I'm gonna give you a couple of options of what they could have been. Option wonder, number one, uh, drink you some more wine. And Tigers, like, that would be amazing. Option number two, do what he tells you. Amen. Do what he tells you. So like put yourself in these servants' shoes for just one minute. So these are jars that we're told were used for ceremonial cleansing. So there would have been a series of them and there would have been some small and some that were larger. The smaller ones were used for more distinguished guests. 
so you didn't need a lot of water. The larger ones were used more for the masses. All of them were used in the ceremonial cleansing for hands and feet. So this was considered clean water. And, and maybe it was ladled out, maybe it was scooped out, but eventually you're gonna touch enough dirty feet, you're gonna touch enough dirty hands, that you're gonna empty enough water, and then you're gonna go back into the water, that it's gonna become tainted itself. And whether or not it's filthy or it's just got a couple of floaties, this isn't the water you drink. And based on the way that the verbiage is used in the text, it kind of almost indicates that it, they weren't empty jars. It says they filled them up to the brim. You get this sense that they've been used so this was already being used to clean the guests who were there. And so they just topped them back off with the water. And then Jesus says to one of the servants, out of that, out of the, the, the water used to clean dirty hands and feet, take that to the master of the ceremony and give him some to drink. So imagine this servant. Like this had to be the longest short walk that any human being's ever taken. Because he's like, I don't know what, uh, okay. Because we don't know exactly when it turned to wine. We don't know if it did immediately. We don't know if it did in transit in the label, ladle. We don't know if it did when the master's ceremony drank it. But at some point, you've got to imagine the servant, all he sees is water, dirty water, and he's got to go serve it to his boss, which could have been his job, which could have been his reputation, gone. But, but Jesus' mom says, do whatever he says. So he ladles it out and he takes it and he serves it. I just, like, picture that walk the whole way. He's like, I have no idea why I'm doing this. This is the end. I'm done. I'm fired. I'm going to look for a new job. And then he hands it and everything changes in that moment. It becomes not just, not just a miracle for the people to drink more wine. It becomes the miracle for everybody that observed it. For this guy, this had to be, this had to be the worst, most foolish, most nonsensical walk that he ever had to take. Why in the world am I being asked to carry dirty, cleaning water over to the mass of the ceremony to drink in place of wine, and then he does, and it becomes exactly what Jesus said it would? Here's just my question for you, because tonight is about the people who are going to be baptized, but it's always about us when we come together. What place in your life might Jesus be asking you to take a nonsensical walk? And what place might he be asking you right now to trust him in a ridiculous way that makes no sense? It's dirty water and a ladle. And he's asking you to just trust him and do it. He's probing you to see, am I worthy of it all? Am I worthy of it all? Will you give it to me all? Your doubt, your trust, your heart, your belief, your skepticism, your walk across the room with the ladle that makes no sense, will you give it to me all? When we're willing to give it to him all, that's when we experience all of him. You might go, well, how, how do I know? How do I know when he's telling me to do something? The key here for the servant was what Jesus' mom said, do whatever he tells you to do. The key for you and I is the same. You wanna avoid the drift away? You wanna experience the full power that there is to know God, to walk with God, to do life with God? Do whatever he tells you to do at any given moment of your life. So the question is, well, how do I know when God's telling me to do something? Well, if, if the problem in this story is the drift, then the answer is the tug. Here's what I mean. I've shared with some of you before. Joyce, can I borrow you for a minute? So I have a blind dad. He was born blind, and I've grown up my whole life with my dad being blind. And one of the ways, some of you have seen me kind of demonstrate this before, but with my dad, here's how I lead him around. He usually grabs kind of just the back of my arm a little bit, and I'm in the lead, and when we stop or when we go, it's all with a tug. 
So I usually just tug. And then my dad knows it's time to start walking. And then just kind of back. And we stop. And I, I don't know if he taught me that when I was young. I don't know if I just picked it up. Maybe it's my own invention of how to just lead my dad around. But it's always, it's the tug that says, let's go. And it's the push that says, let's stop. And it's the tug that says, let's go. And it's the push that says, let's stop. And here's what, here's what I've learned in my walk with God, is that he tugs. And he pushes. And he tugs. And he pushes. And if you want to know what he's telling you to do, the key is... The key is to pay attention to the tug and the push. Where he tells you, let's go, do this, stop that, not here, let's go, do this. It's the push and the tug. That's how you learn. And you, here's the thing, you only know God's tug if you stay close to him. I can't give my dad a tug if he's on the other side of the room. He has to be right on my heels, holding my arm, and then he feels my tug. You will never feel the tug of God if you're distant from him. The tug is when you're close. That's our job. We stay close, he does the tug, he does the push. You will encounter all God has for you. You will avoid the drift when you're responsive to the tug and you will only ever feel the tug when you stay close and you will only ever feel the power of the tug when you say to whatever he tells you to do, yes. When you're responsive, to whatever he tells you to do with saying you're worthy of it all. So my answer is yes. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.